long before there were iPads, there were video games. Before video games, we had this thing called Pong that was just a little white line on a ball on a screen. Before that, we had board games. Before that, we had coloring books. Remember coloring books, first thing? When coloring books came along, the, the, the challenging part after coloring books came these dot-to-dot -dot books, if you remember. And what you would have on a page would be a series of dots, and you would be challenged to go dot-to-dot -dot to discover the picture. So who can tell me what this is? You get a, an extra donut after the service. Well, or uh, if you could tell me, what? think about it. Um, I tried to connect the dots. Here's what I came up with. <laughs> so um, it, didn't, it didn't work out very well. So, so as you look at this, you know, we had dots and then there was a way that you're supposed to connect the dots. The next slide, which are with, with uh, going in a sequential uh, one by one, following a pattern to discover a picture. Well, today in our text, uh, Jesus is going to um, connect the dots for some folks that could not see what God, what God could possibly doing in all that was happening. Now, it's a very familiar story, and before we get to it, join me in a prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, you are God of clarity. And so help us to see, to stay exactly what you would have us see. We pray that the Holy Spirit would take these words that are on his page and would write them on our hearts in such a way that we would be transformed more into your likeness. And we'd leave here more like you. If there would be anything hindering that happening, I pray you would remove it. For we've come to be taught by you, to be changed, to be more like you. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Now, the two individuals that we're going to talk about today were having a bad day. And when I say a bad day, not just a bad day, it was like end of the world kind of bad day. They've been following somebody, attached themselves to someone that they thought was going to be this, the most special person in all of history. And... They've been disappointed, and they don't know what they're going to do next. You see, the one that they had based their hopes on was Jesus. And Jesus, just four or five days ago, was arrested and tried, beaten and crucified, and put into the grave. And they didn't know what they were going to do. And I wonder how many of us have been with somebody who have face a difficulty where you, you don't even know the next step to take. You are uh, just overwhelmed with grief and sorrow and sadness. They were going home. It was seven miles to walk home. It's just not how they pictured it. And now they don't know exactly. There's rumors that the body is gone and they had this huge defeat. 1972, in, in the fall, uh, Bishop Waterson High School just 
down to the river and then up the hill. Um, we were on our way to be the state champions in football for the state of Ohio. We were good and we knew it. And there were such big plans where we were going to Maslin to play Akron St. Vincent St. Mary's. And, and, and we, on the, we were promised a party. We were promised we could keep our jerseys. We were promised that there would be a parade in Northwest Columbus and we would be heroes. We couldn't wait. We tasted it. We pictured it. And then we played the game and we were crushed, defeated, beaten badly. And the bus ride home, but even before the bus ride, when we were getting our awards for second place in the state of Ohio. There were silver footballs that you would uh, sew into the letter on your jacket. Most of the team players, when they received it from the official, threw it into the darkness. We don't, we don't want it. We don't want second place. And the bus ride home, there were tears. People kicked seats. There were frustrations. It was silent the whole way home. It, it, it's the mood of these men. Their dreams were dashed. And they're walking seven miles. And we're picking it up in Luke chapter 24, verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, two of Jesus' disciples about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Now, Jesus comes alongside. He knows who they are and knows that they are broken and sad. They're probably just not even looking up. And they're, they're talking back and forth. How could what have happened happened? And, but they were kept from seeing him. And he says, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. They stopped in their tracks. Who is this person that doesn't know? Then one of them named Cleopas. Now, Cleopas is in church tradition for folks to understand him to be the brother of Joseph, the surrogate father of Jesus. So he would have been Jesus' uncle. He'd watched Jesus grow and do amazing things. And one of them named Cleopas answered him. You can hear that almost not only frustration, but the disgust. Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here these days? Why couldn't they see it was Jesus? Why, why would they be kept from seeing and identifying him I believe Paul tells us in the book of Romans, and we're going to learn why this is so important. It says in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, faith comes from hearing 
and hearing through the word of Christ. Paul does not tell the church, faith comes from seeing Jesus. Faith comes from hearing the word of God, the word of Christ. So here I think it's the principle I want you to hold on to. To really see Jesus takes more than just eyesight. To really see Jesus takes more than just eyesight. And now these two pour out their grief. Luke's starting in verse 19. And they said to Jesus, they said to Jesus, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We were following this Jesus. He was powerful. He, he caused deaf people to hear. He caused blind people to see. He cured the lame. They walked. Folks who had leprosy were healed. Even he raised someone from the dead. But notice in the words, in the first line, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet. And we had hoped. Do you hear the despair? It's it's gone. I mean, he's done for, and, and we're left in our disappointments and frustration. He was going to change everything, and now we have nothing. And then Jesus says to them, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. This word fool in the Bible means one who does not believe in God. It, it is, comes from Psalm 14.1. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. So when Jesus calls them foolish, he's saying, you have no sense that God is still in this thing, that he is still in charge. And you are so slow of heart. You see, it's with our heart that we believe And you are slow of heart. Jesus says, you have a heart problem. And then he goes on. He begins to draw some dots. Was it not necessary, verse 26, that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in the scriptures, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And so what Jesus does, he does a Bible study as they're walking seven miles. And it, it went on so long, it got dark in the process. Seven miles. Wouldn't you love to have the script of what Jesus told those guys? He unpacked, he starts with Moses, the first five books of the Bible. And he begins to say, let me show you what you already know. You learned it in Sabbath school. You learned it in Sunday school. You learned it in worship. You learned it in the synagogue. 
You grow up knowing this stuff. Your hearts are so slow, and, and you don't recognize that God is at work. I imagine he went to Genesis chapter 3, and if you're familiar with the Bible, in chapter 1 and 2 is the creation story, and chapter 3 is where Adam and Eve disobeyed. And you see, do you miss? He says, look, do you know that he came after Adam and Eve? And they hid themselves because they were naked. And you know what he did? He killed an animal. Death entered into creation. Something had to die to clothe Adam and Eve, to protect them. Something had to die to cover the sin. Starts there. And then he goes on to the evil one and says, one day, the seed of a woman will be born and will crush the head of the one that will nip at his heel. In other words, there'll be this battle one day when the offspring of a woman, which was unheard of, when the offspring of a woman will come and do battle with the evil one and it will look like the evil one wins, but it's not a fatal wound. And the evil one will, the, and the, this one of God will crush the head of the evil one. And then he, he may go to Genesis 22 of Abram, the father of the Jewish nation. And look what it says. God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And Abraham said, yes, here I am. And God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. Take his life on a mountain, which I shall tell you. And do you not know that the mountain that Abraham was to take his son was the same mountain on which Jesus was crucified just days ago? And do you not know that in Genesis 22, where it says, take your son, your only son, whom you love, this is the first time in the Bible that the word love is used of a period, let alone of a father to a son who is to sacrifice his life. Do you not see that God sent his son whom he loved, his only son, and sacrificed him on the same mountain. And he walks them through Psalm 22, which is written thousands of years before this idea of crucifixion. You know, we, we dream up ways to cruelly kill people. Crucifixion wasn't even created for a thousand years when Psalm 22 was written. And listen to what the psalmist writes. Of this one, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Jesus begins to connect the dots 
in the Bible. And he takes the dots and begins to go from one to two, two to three, three to four, four to five. And he begins to just connect the Old Testament together. He then talks about um, the, the, the idea of the Passover lamb and that the blood had to be put over to protect those in the house from the angel of death and the blood of the lamb that was slain, the perfect lamb. He goes on to the Day of Atonement and, and talks about that sacrifice that they just celebrated a couple of days ago. He goes on about Numbers 21, where the people in the desert, as they are coming out of the Exodus, are bitten by snakes. And, and Moses was told, take a pole and put a snake on it and lift it up. And everyone who looks to the one lifted up will be healed. And he talks about Isaiah. Therefore, the Lord will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall bear a son and call him Emmanuel. And Isaiah 9, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. There's a place in scripture where, in the Psalms, where the Messiah will be betrayed by a friend. And you see, if you just connect the dots, what Jesus does, one quarter of this book is prophecy. 300 times in the Old Testament are there prophecies about this Messiah. And Jesus, as they walk through on the way to Emmaus, he's connecting the dots, all these different things. And it got late. And they're almost to Emmaus. And it's getting dark. And in Luke 28, 24, 28, so they drew near to the village which they were going. Jesus acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went to stay with them. You see, Jesus will never force himself on anyone. Jesus will come alongside Jesus will inform us. The Holy Spirit will speak to us. But it leaves it up to us and these two men <clears throat> said, we want more. We want more. Tell us, stay with us. And they invited him to stay. And once you invite Jesus in, he begins to make some changes. He begins to be a little bit in charge because he, when he was at the table with them, he took the bread. He blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them and their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Now, if you go to almost every commentary, commentary that was ever written they will lift up the Lord's Supper, what we celebrate the first Sunday of, of, of every month, that in the breaking of the bread, Jesus said, you will remember me because my body is broken for you. In the pouring of the cup, you will remember my love poured out for you because sins can't be 
forgiven without the shedding of blood. Every commentary will say how wonderful the Lord's Supper is, and it is. It is awesome. And I believe there is a place that this is very special, but I think their recognition of Jesus came in a different way. When I write my own commentary, I will include this and we'll see what happens. If I were to show you this symbol, what would you think about? Mickey Mouse, thank you very much. If I show you this symbol, what would you think about? Superman or your favorite pastor. Um, <laughs> if uh, I think what happens is Jesus, it doesn't talk about the cup. He breaks the bread. And when he hands them the piece of bread, there is a three-day-old nail scar in his palm, in both of his palms. I think, you see, nobody ever walked around with nail-scarred hands because if you were crucified, it only ended one way in death. But it is in the nail holes in his hands that it all comes together on who this guy is. And the love that he has for them in taking the time to teach them and to love them and is discovered in the holes in his hands or wrists. This is a freebie. This, this will be on the test when you go to heaven. There'll be St. Pete will have a test for you. And uh, one of the questions will be, what is the only man-made thing in heaven? The only man-made thing in heaven are the scars in the hands and feet inside of Jesus. Those are the only things made by man that you will discover in heaven. It's what turned Thomas from a doubter to a believer. I think they saw the hands. And it, then it says, he vanished from their sight. Now, you would think he would stay around, get a couple pats on the back. Thanks for, you know, being here and teaching us. And we're with you and way to go. And can I have your autograph? But he, he disappears from his, their sight. Why? Because his bodily presence was no longer necessary for faith. His bodily presence were no longer necessary for faith. That they could have faith not on what they see, but what they know to be true because of the word of God. Because it will be 40 days from this moment that he will disappear and no longer be with them. Because faith comes not by seeing Jesus, Faith comes by hearing 
and hearing by the word of God. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us? When he talked about the, the prophecies fulfilled, when he talked about how much God loved us and what Jesus has done, did our hearts not burn within us while he talked to us on the road and he opened the scriptures to us? He had showed them that the Messiah must suffer and how much Christ loved them. And their hearts burned with that understanding and their eyes were open and they saw Jesus. But they saw Jesus now, not because he was in front of them. He saw, they saw Jesus because of what they knew the scriptures all led to and what God was about. And what did they do? They ran back seven miles to Jerusalem. Now, they not only went back seven miles, they went back in the darkness. You did not travel the roads of Jerusalem at night because of thieves and robbers. And yet, what they found to be true, what they saw in the scriptures, what they encountered with Jesus, they could not help but go tell, even if it cost them their life, they had to go tell. And one of the things that we're very excited about from now through the end of the summer is in the Gospel of Matthew, the angels invite the women to come and see when the tomb is empty on Easter. Come and see that it's empty. Now go tell the disciples what happens when you discover the truth of who Jesus is. You've got to tell somebody because the news is too good to keep to yourself. And their hearts that were slow now burned. They had heartburn because they heard the word of God. They understand that God is in charge and has a plan. And it all worked out according to the plan of God. Now, here's the question for each of us. How would you describe your biblical understanding, your theology of the Bible? Do you have a Dalmatian theology of the Bible? Do you have a, I like this spot, and 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 all you have is a spotty Dalmatian theology? If so, your faith will go to the dogs. That somebody said that. We're not to have a spotty theology of God's word. We're to see what God is doing. And if you put the dots together, originally, can you hit that? Oop, there we go. That's, that's what you could not see ahead of time. The call of God to your life. How about that? I just, somebody said, why didn't you do Jesus? Well, this is, this is all I can do. Anyway, <laughs> once you connect the dots, once you see the picture, you don't need Jesus standing in front of you telling you what to do or that you're loved by God or that there's a plan for your life because it's all in the word of God.
And, and we stand right now between the ascension and, and his return. And he's given us his word. He doesn't have to walk around and people put fingers in the holes in his hand because you'll get greater faith reading his word to the power of the Holy Spirit and your life will be greater, more greater impact, more greatly impacted by the Holy Spirit and the word of God because faith does not come by seeing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Do you have heartburn? Does your heart burn knowing how much God loves you? Does it burn in such a way that you've got to tell others? The only way that's going to happen is when we read his word, learn of his love, stand on his truths, your heart will burn with his love and you will do whatever it takes to tell someone else. And if your heart does not burn, it's because you don't know what he's told us and you're waiting for some other sign. My prayer is today, and every day you open this book that you will have heartburn knowing the love of God and the depth of his love for you. You think about that. Amen. Pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, there are folks here who would love to just say, I'll believe if I see Jesus. If I have a conversation with Jesus, I'll, I'll believe. But I, we are fickle people. And we could explain all of that away somehow. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Your Holy Spirit in our lives will connect the dots. We just have to be students of the word. So I pray if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, that they would discover the truth of your word, of your deep love for them and your plans for them for all eternity. And for the rest of us, Lord, it's so easy to end up with a Dalmatian theology where we like a couple of spots, base our life on a couple of spots, but when we really get pushed, those few spots aren't enough. So may we be students of your word. May we discover the depth of your love. And may our hearts burn within us every day until you take us home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.